I would like to read a couple of verses from Jeremiah 17. Heal me, O Lord, and I will be healed. Save me, and I will be saved. For you are my praise. Look, they keep saying to me, Where is the word of the Lord? Let it come now. Father, we thank you that we have in our hands your word, which you have proclaimed throughout all eternity into the hearts of your people. And Father, sometimes our attitude towards it is so flippant and trivial. Father, help us just to really realize that we have a jewel, we have a mine of jewels in our hands. Father, that we will look at the Word as our instructor, the means by which you will touch our lives even this morning. We pray that you will guide us in our study. And Father, as your Word is proclaimed now in this second service, I pray that you will anoint it and empower it. Lord, we just trust you to bless as your Word is taught throughout this complex this morning, that above all, you will be glorified, and we, your people, will approach you with humility and with a desire to know more about the God we serve. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. If you'll turn to the 18th chapter of the book of Judges, those of you who know the book of Judges know that it doesn't improve as you move later on in the book in terms of the display of what men and women are capable of doing. Of course, I suppose, for those of us who live in the at the end of the 20th and the beginning of the 21st century, uh, nothing much surprises us anymore in terms of the depravity of human nature. But I'd like to read the first six verses of chapter 18. In those days, there was no king of Israel. And in those days, the tribe of the Danites was seeking an inheritance for themselves to live in. For until that day, an inheritance had not been allotted to them as a possession among the tribes of Israel. So the sons of Dan sent from their family five men out of their whole number, valiant men from Zorah and Eshtel, to spy out the land and to search it. And they said to them, Go, search the land. And they came to the hill country of Ephraim, to the house of Micah, and lodged there. When they were near the house of Micah, they recognized the voice of the young man, the Levite, and they turned aside there and said to him, Who brought you here? And what are you doing in this place? And what do you have here? And he said to them, Thus and so has Micah done to me. He has hired me, and I have become his priest. And they said to him, Inquire of God, please, that we may know whether our way on which we are going will be prosperous. And the priest said to them, Go in peace. Your way in which you're going has the Lord's approval. The era of the judges extends from approximately 1385 B.C. to about 1050 B.C., roughly, give or take a few years on either end. What, that, what, what those parameters are, are the death of Joshua on the one end and the crowning of Saul as the first king of Israel on the other end. So in between you have this period of time in which Israel was governed by the 12 Shofatim, the 12 judges uh, of which we have studied in the uh, previous weeks. During this period, Israel was supposed to function as a theocracy. That is, God was to rule them according to the men that he raised up to be their, their judge. 
And this was God's intent. But more often than not, throughout this time, or during much of the time, Israel degenerated to, a, to anarchy. And that's why we keep reading passages like we have already covered in, and in those days every man did that which was right in his own eyes. This is a statement of anarchy. The people did not trust and obey God as they had been commanded to do and as is written in the Torah. Therefore, they collapsed into paganism. In order to discipline his rebellious people, we have seen that over and over again, God allowed them to be oppressed by Gentile neighbors. This particular chapter that we're looking at today focuses on just one of the tribes, the tribe of Dan, one of the smallest tribes in Israel. They were given a relatively vulnerable location. The tribe of Dan was located in this region right through here. Now, we read in the 18th chapter, the first verse, uh, the words that the Danites were seeking inheritance for themselves to live in, for until that day an inheritance had not been allotted to them as a possession among the tribes of Israel. But the wording there actually says that the inheritance for them had not fallen to them, and that's a big difference, a big difference, because they had had a territory allotted to them. It had been allotted to them in the days of Joshua. The problem was they had not occupied it, and that's what this verse is actually saying. Let me go back to the 19th chapter of Joshua. In the 19th chapter of Joshua, which of course occurred back in the days when Joshua was still alive, we read these things beginning at verse 40, Joshua 19:40. The seventh lot fell to the tribe of the sons of Dan according to their territory, according to their families. And the territory of their inheritance was Zorah and Eshtael and Ir Shemesh, and Shal Abim, and Elon and Ithla, and Elon and Timnah and Ekron, and Eltika and Gebethion, and Baaleth, and Jehud, and Benibarak, and Gath Rimmon, and Mejarkon and Rakon, with the territory over against Joppa. Now you know exactly where they were located. <laughs> The, the last two verses of that same passage actually are looking ahead and refer to what the 18th chapter is of Judges is actually uh, dealing with. The territory mentioned in this passage that I just read in Joshua is the very region that we read about when we dealt with the Danite named Samson. That was the territory. We were talking about Kirith-Jerim down to Beth Shemesh, right in through here, and the territory in between. Here's the Sarek Valley and the Danites were located in the upper regions of the Sorek Valley. Now, again, let me remind you that Israel is in a relatively dry region. Now, not all of it, of course, is extremely dry, as we'll see as we move on into uh, this 18th chapter. But the Sorek, the Sorek is a stream here. But the Sorek is not a perennial stream. That is, it doesn't run... 365 days out of the year. It runs during the rainy season, and then during the summer and into the early fall, it becomes a wadi. It becomes pretty much a dry river bed. There are very few rivers that run perennially in Israel. Those are the ones, of course, we've, we've read something about already. The Jabbok and the Yarmuk up here, of course, the Jordan, uh, the Arnon down here. There's, there's one up here, the Kishon, and there's another one that runs in through here that are pretty well perennial. There's water in them all the time. But for the most part, 
these rivers only run during the wet season and are not there all the time. According to the 19th chapter of Joshua, uh, Timnah, which was right down in here, and Ekron, right here, which is or was one of the five cities of the Philistine Pentapolis, was part of what was given to the tribe of Dan. In fact, there's a whole series of towns named there, which I went through, including Joppa over on the coast here. And so we're talking about a region that stretches from Kiriath-Jerim all the way over, like, like down through here, up the coast and back over to here. So they were have a region that's probably four times as large as what they were actually occupying. But as Dr. Walmart was saying, that was part of the Philistine plain. And the Philistines occupied this part over here, which was supposed to go to the tribe of Dan. So what had happened was, of course, the Danites had not defeated the Philistines. Not even Samson would really ultimately defeat the Philistines. Oh, yes, he'd kill a few hundred there and a, and a few thousand somewhere else, but he did not enable Israel to occupy the land. It was a judgment on the Philistines. It was not an actual fulfillment of the allocation to the tribe of Dan that was carried out by this man, Samson. Now, had the Danites said, God has allotted this to us. The Philistines are a strong people. They are an iron-using people. We are a bronze-using people. And yet our God is greater than their God, and we will take the land. Had that been their purpose, had that been their belief, and had they acted upon that, then the Philistines would have been defeated and the Danites would have occupied the land that was given to them. But they did not trust God, and they did not obey God. They, like most of the other tribes, cowed before the, um, uh, the Canaanites, particularly after Joshua was dead. And only momentarily did they rise up here and there when, when a shofat came along and led them to victory, such as the ones we have discussed. If they had fulfilled what God had ordained them to do, and had they defeated and occupied at least the northern part of Philistia, and of course had Judah done what they were supposed to do, they would have occupied the southern part and there would have been no Philistia. Had they done that, the threat to Israel, which was a very long-term threat, would have been eliminated early because the Philistines were a continuous threat to Israel from before the days of Samson into the Philistines were still a big pain in the neck to Israel. And yet God was going to deal with them. In the 47th chapter of Jeremiah, beginning of the first verse, we read these things. That which came... As the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet concerning the Philistines before Pharaoh conquered Gaza. Now during this, the time of uh, Jeremiah was a period of revival in Egypt. Egypt has had great periods in its history. The old kingdom period, which is back in the third millennium before Christ. The middle kingdom period, which was around the time of Abraham. The new kingdom period, which began about the middle of the second millennium and ran down to about the end of the second or maybe the beginning of the first millennium B.C. And then they had another revival around the sixth, fifth centuries before Christ, seventh, sixth, around in that area, about the time period of, of Jeremiah. And so they would uh, attack the Philistine city of Gaza. 
Verse 2, Thus the Lord says the Lord, Behold, waters are going to rise from the north and become an overflowing torrent and overflow the land in all its fullness. The city and those who live in it, the men will cry out, every inhabitant of the land will wail. Because of the noise of the galloping hooves of his stallions, the, tumults, the tumult of his chariots, the rumbling of his wheels, the fathers have not turned back for their children because of the limpness of their hands. On account of the day that is coming, to what? To destroy all the Philistines, to cut off from Tyre and Sidon every ally that is left. For the Lord is going to destroy the Philistines and the remnant of the coastland of Kaftor. Now, Kaftor is a term that is frequently used in the scripture as a synonym for Philistia. And it is believed by scholars that Kaftor either referred to Philistia itself or referred to the origin of the Philistines, where they came from, the people of Kaftor. And Kaftor is believed to be either the island of Crete or Cilicia on the south coast of Asia Minor. All we know for sure is that the Philistines came from the Asia Minor region when they first attacked Egypt and rebounded over into Canaan. And so that term Kaftor probably refers to Crete. Verse 5, baldness has come upon Gaza. Ashkelon has been ruined. O remnant of their valley, how long will you gash yourself? Ah, sword of the Lord, how long will you not be quiet? Withdraw into your sheath, be at rest and stay still. How can it be quiet when the Lord has given it an order against Ashkelon, against the seacoast? There he has assigned it. Israel did not do, or the tribe of Dan and the tribe of Judah did not do what they were ordered to do. Therefore, God himself would ultimately destroy the Philistines. But, you know, in, in thinking of the long-term ramifications of this, my thought was that had the Danites and the Judeans destroyed the Philistines, the name Palestine would never have come into existence. The country would never have been called Palestine. I don't know what it would have been called, but it would have been called Palestine because Palestine is rooted back in the name Philistine and was largely attributed to the area by the Romans. Because the Romans, of course, attempted to destroy the Jews because the Jews revolted against them several times, primarily in the 66 to 73 period, and then later on in the about a third of the way through the second century, the Jews made another big outbreak against the uh, Romans. And most people don't realize that there was a period of time in the, uh, from the later second century on in which the city of Jerusalem was a Roman pagan city in which temples were built to the Roman triad of gods, the Capitoline triad of gods. And uh, they even renamed the city Aelia Capitolina rather than Jerusalem because they wanted to eradicate everything having to do with the Jews because they were such ornery critters as far as the Romans were concerned. Well, due to disobedience and disbelief, the Danites never conquered the coastal plain. They were instead crammed into that area, which I pointed out to you before, the upper Sorek Valley. So they were crammed into a small region right up in here. A whole tribe was crammed into this small little area right in here instead of having this big piece of the plain out here. Well, when I say big, I mean in comparison, none of this place is big. Well, one of the things I, I point out in, in some of my classes is you can put the modern state of Israel into San Bernardino County two and a half times. So, 
You know, sometimes if you ever read these brochures about traveling to Israel, and they say, well, you land, this is all in one day, you land at Tel Aviv, you go up to Jerusalem, you go down to the Dead Sea, and then you end up in, uh, up in the, the Sea of Galilee in the evening. Well, wait a minute. <laughs> but nothing's far apart there. It's a bit of a piece if you're walking it, but in a modern automobile, I mean, you get from one spot to the other in no time flat. Not a big land. So, Dan is crammed. Dan is crammed between the Philistines over here and between the tribe of Judah to the south and the tribe of Benjamin to the north and east of them. So they're stuck in this little piece. And, and, and if you look at that and think about that, you understand why the events transpired that we read about in the 18th chapter of the book of Judges. They desired more room. We need room for our animals. We need room for our crops. We can't live in this tiny little place. And so some of the Danite clans got together and they selected five of their members to become spies. And we're told they came from Zorah and Eshtel. And they were to go out and find a more desirable land. And of course, implied in that was a land where we can actually conquer it, where we can defeat the people. Obviously, the Philistines are too strong for us. Find a weak people and uh, see if we can't take their land from them. Well, probably in the first or the second night of their outing, of their reconnaissance trip, the spies came to the house of Micah. And of course, we were introduced to Micah in the 17th chapter. And the purpose of the 17th chapter of Judges is to understand the 18th chapter of Judges. As they lodged with Micah, now they're up in Ephraim. We, we don't know exactly where, but, but they, have, they have come north and they're, they're up, up in here somewhere. The spies, as they heard the voice of the Levite who was living there, they recognized that he didn't belong there. They, it, you know, it says they recognized his voice. It doesn't mean they knew him. It means that they understood that his, his accent was not the Ephraimite accent. They knew that he was from Judea because he had a southern accent. He said, y'all, you know. <laughs> Where y'all guys come from, huh? And so they, they asked the question, why is a Judean uh, Ephraim, uh, Levite, why is a Judean Levite living in the house of an Ephraimite. It didn't seem to make sense to them. And so he explained to them how he got there, you know, how he was traveling and Micah encountered him and discovered he was a Levite and he offered him a job. And he was looking for a job and it seemed like a good job. Being a false priest doesn't require a whole lot of output. You just have to be in league with the enemy. And they thought that was very, very fascinating. In fact, they decided, whoa, I mean, this guy's a, a Levite, and he, uh, here, here's an image of Yahweh over here. We should ask this guy to, to tell us our fortune and, and to bless us. The spies were obviously as pagan as was Micah and his household. They were superstitious. I mean, certainly they were allowed to see the image of Yahweh. They, they saw the teraphim. And had they had any teaching whatsoever, even the very basic Ten Commandments, maybe there was a law there saying you couldn't put the Ten Commandments on the wall or something like we have, they, they would have known that this was wrong. But they dared to ask the Levite to consult Elohim on their behalf. Everything, everything about this scenario is in direct violation 
of the express word of God given to Israel by Moses. It couldn't have been much more opposite of what God had proclaimed. And, and this morning I, I was just reading and I came across this verse. Uh, let me read it to you. It's from the 10th chapter of Zechariah, yeah, verse 2. It says, For the teraphim speak iniquity, and the diviners see lying visions and tell false dreams. They comfort in vain. Therefore the people wander like sheep, and they are afflicted, because there is no shepherd. Because there is no shepherd. To me, that verse was, could have been written about this very event and about the Danites here as they are seeking a new land. So misguided is this Levite priest that he pronounces shalom upon the spies. And he declares not that they have the blessing of Elohim, they say that, he, they, that they have the blessing of Yahweh, more specific, Yahweh. Obviously, he was wanting to please his guests. He knew what his guests would want to hear. That is one of the true tests of a false prophet, that he tells you what you want to hear, almost always. He had, had he been a true prophet of God, he could not have so, <clears throat> pardon me, glibly proclaimed the blessing upon these Danites. Why? Because they were a vanguard of the Danite effort to circumvent the express will of God, to do something other than what God had ordered them to do. It was not God's will that they should reject the place that God had given them through Joshua. It was not God's will that they should run from the problem and try to find an easier solution to their dilemma. It was his will that they obediently make the effort under God's strength to occupy the land that was given. Thank you, Norma. And as I was thinking of that, not this morning, but another day, um, this particular passage came to mind. Let me read you a few verses from the 81st Psalm. But my people did not listen to my voice, and Israel did not obey me. So they gave them over to the stubbornness, so I gave them over to the stubbornness of their heart to walk in their own devices. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. I would quickly subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their adversaries. I mean, if this didn't speak to the situation, I've given them over to the stubbornness of their hearts. Let them go up and try to conquer another piece of land because they're walking in their own devices. Oh, that they would listen. I would give them the land that I had promised and allocated to them. Well, reading on in the 18th chapter of Judges, beginning at verse 7. Then the five men departed and came to Laish and saw the people who were in it living in security after the manner of the Sidonians, quiet and secure. For there was no ruler humiliating them for anything in the land. <clears throat> in other words, they didn't have a, a, an oppressive outside ruler. And they were far from the Sidonians and had no dealings with anyone. When they came back to their brothers at Zara and Eshtel, their brothers said to them, What do you report? And they said, Arise, let us go up against them, for we have seen the land, and behold, it is very good. And will you sit still? Do not delay to go, to enter, to possess the land. 
When you enter, you shall come to a secure people with a spacious land, for God has given it into your hand, a place where there is no lack of anything that is on the earth. Then from the family of the Danites, from Zorah and from Eshtael, 600 armed men with weapons of war set out. And they went up and camped at Kiriath-Jerim in Judah. Therefore they called the place Manah-Dan to this day. Behold, it is west of Kiriath-Jerim. And they passed from there to the hill country of Ephraim and came to the house of Micah. Good old Micah. Keeps showing up. Well, the spies, after leaving the house of Micah, wherever it was, they went north. And they traveled through the country up here. We're not told whether they went down by the coast. Probably not, because they might have run into some Phoenicians over here. So they probably went over this way, following what is known as the Via Maris, the main highway there, cutting over to the Sea of Galilee and then going north from the Sea of Galilee. And we're talking about the region way up here now. This is where they went, right in through here. This valley is called the Hula Valley. This little lake right here is called Lake Hula. It does not exist today. Oh, there's a small little dammed off area where it's kind of a reservoir, but the rest of the lake has all been drained and it's been converted into very nice agricultural land up there. So they're going way, way, way up to the north. Now, this was all territory within what had been allocated by God to Israel in the beginning. So they're not going outside of the land that God had given to Israel, but it was land that none of the tribes had at that moment conquered or occupied. So they entered the Hula Valley, and they came to the city of Laish, which is right there, where you see the name Dan, because the Danites will capture it and rename it. We're now 130 or so miles north of where they started, down there at the, in the Sorek Valley. So they have tramped over these many miles and through the territories of, what, three, maybe four tribes of Israel, and now have ended up way up in the, um, actually on the lower slopes of Mount Hermon. Now, in contrast to most of Israel, the Hula Valley was and pretty much still is lush and fertile. Laish was located on one of the major tributaries to the Jordan River. The Jordan River has three main tributaries, one that comes way up from the north and two of which come right out of the base of Mount Hermon. One of them is at Laish or at Dan, what became Dan. The other is not far away at Banias or what we know from the New Testament as Caesarea Philippi. Beautiful place. If you ever go to Israel, don't be sure you don't miss Caesarea Philippi, Dan, that whole area because it is really almost a kind of a Garden of Eden uh, type place. A lot of, lot of ruins there. They've been working on uncovering the city of Dan now for, for decades. And so it, you get a real sense of, of history when you're there. Today, I would say from what I've seen in Israel that it is probably the physically most desirable place in all of Israel. Not far from Banias, where the, uh, at Caesarea Philippi, where the water comes out, it goes down a gorge and it drops over a beautiful waterfall and it's back in a kind of a lush, uh, tree-covered area. I mean, it's just really a beautiful place. Uh, nice place to, to be, especially if you've been, you know, out on the Golan Heights or down in the southern part of Israel in the Negev where it's dry as a bone most of the time. Today, if you go there, you'll discover that particularly at Dan, it is a park. It's been set aside 
uh, to preserve it from development and to make it available for all Israelites to or Israelis to enjoy today. So, you know that part. That part I think is good. Now, from this passage, we can interpret that the city of Laish was probably a colony of Sidon. Sidon is up here on the coast. Tyre and Sidon were, of course, the two main cities. And if you go further north, you come to the city of Byblos, uh, from which we get the word Bible. And as you see, you see the name Sidonian in here. This whole area, uh, all the way down here to Akko, is the region that belonged to the Phoenicians. So the whole coast along here was either Philistine or Phoenician. It's kind of the place. <laughs> Philistine or Phoenician. And Israel, of course, was supposed to control the whole coast. But for the most part, they, they had not effectively controlled the coast because both the Philistines and the Phoenicians were, were rather strong peoples. The Phoenicians were, were people who would eventually go and establish a massive city in North Africa called Carthage. They would establish another city way over in southern Spain. It is thought that the Phoenicians actually were the very first to circumnavigate Africa in the 7th century before Christ that probably they even traveled to Britain at some point in time, long before uh, Britain was anything but full of wild Celts. The city was far enough away, about 35 miles by road from Sidon, that it was not likely that the city of Laish would receive any help from Sidon. And the passage implies this. It implies that they had no allies, that they were onto their own. It says that they had no oppressing leader, which meant the city of Sidon was not directly governing the city of Laish, they were autonomous, living quietly, minding their own business in their rather, rather idyllic setting. You know, if I were those people, I would have thought, this is a pretty nice place. <laughs> I think we ought to fortify it a little bit, you know? Put a few cannon over here and a few cannon over there and, you know, build an airstrip for our B-2s or whatever, you know, to, to defend this place, you know, to the spies. This was it. This is the place. This is where our tribe should move. This is our best possibility for the relocation of our tribe because it's idyllic and it's poorly defended. <laughs> they were looking for weakness because the tribe of Dan was not a strong tribe. Oh, yes, they had the mighty Samson later on, but it was not a mighty tribe. So the spies went back. They had good news. I think they had a good time going home talking about how wonderful this place is and how we ought to encourage our brothers to get together a war party and to move up there and conquer this prized region. Because if we don't do it, somebody else will. Somebody else will. So let's beat everybody else to it. Notice in verse 10 how they describe the area. They say, when you enter... You shall come to a secure people with a spacious land, for God has given it into your hand, a place where there is no lack of anything that is on earth. <laughs> That's a pretty superlative statement. No lack of anything that is on earth. Paradise on earth. Well, actually, to the tribe of Dan, squished as they were in their little area, living in an area that uh, during the summertime gets pretty hot and dry, this would have seemed like paradise, and I don't think they were misstating it to, to call it that, at least from their perspective. I mean, they were an agricultural people. And if you're an agricultural people, what more paradise do you want then? Fertile land, lots of sunshine, and plenty of water. What more can you ask for? 
a deed to the property, I suppose. And, and that's, that's what they're concerned about. Now, they believe they had the blessing of God, because you'll notice in that verse, they say, for Elohim has given it into your hand, brothers. God's given it to us. After all, we prayed to God. I mean, the priest blessed us. And, and we went ahead and we found this place. Obviously, God is in it. You know, things can go very, very well sometimes and God not be in it. <laughs> Why is it? These people are cultists, by the way. They're, they're trusting in a cult. This cult of, of the worship of the image of Yahweh with all the associated teraphim, a false priest. Why is it that cultists appear to be absolutely convinced of what they call the truth? You've all had to deal with them at one time or another. You've all talked with a Jehovah's Witness or a Mormon or whatever at the door. And you know that no matter what you say, you can't move them from the absolute conviction that they are right. Even to, to the point where they, they will say that something that is a proven fact of history is just something that was invented in order to make them look bad. Is it not? Because Satan is confirming their false beliefs to them while he is attacking our beliefs. He is trying to convince us that we're totally wide of the mark, that we don't understand Scripture, that we don't understand God, that what we believe is wrong. But he is on the side of the cultist. He's making them sure of, of what they think they know. The world, the flesh, and the devil are inexorably seeking to make your faith and my faith look foolish, while at the same time making the cultist feel as if he has found the pearl of great price. To really believe that Joseph Smith really saw golden texts that were interpreted through the help of an angel by the name of Moroni. King James language. Yeah, I know with lots of passages of Isaiah tossed in here and there, you know. <laughs> Most people don't think about that because it's a little later than the time of King James. <laughs> By about 250 years, you know, so. It just reminds us of, of what our pastor referred to last Sunday when he referred to uh, the sixth chapter of Ephesians, and, and that is that we aren't wrestling with flesh and blood here. We're not wrestling with flesh and blood. We're wrestling with principalities and powers. We're wrestling with the rulers of darkness in this world, and they are strong. Well, in response to the report of the spies, an armed band of 600 Danites prepared to attack Laish. I, I don't think we can help but co to compare this to when uh, Israel was down at Kadesh Barnea and the spies went in and they came back and they said, yeah, the land is wonderful and gorgeous, but the people are strong and great. We can't do it. Here they say, the land is wonderful. We got to go. Hey, guy, all five said, let's go. Let's do it. What was the difference? Well, they perceived the people to be weak. Whereas in the case of the 10 spies, that went under Moses' auspices, 10 of them said the people are strong. So the difference was the strength of the people, not the strength of God. They apparently set out a little bit later in the day on that first day to begin their journey because they only got as far as Kirith Jerim, which is only about five or six miles from Zara and Eshdale. So uh, they didn't get really terribly far. But it seems that 
they, they camp just west of Kiriath-Jerim there. Here's Kiriath-Jerim, which is on the border with Israel, uh, Judah. And just west of that, somewhere over there where this jiggly little red spot is, was the uh, place where they gathered for that first night. And what is interesting is, what is interesting is that that gathering for that camp, for that uh, meeting place, was made enough of an import, uh, impression on Israel that they named the spot. They called it Manah Dan, which means the camp of Dan. And, and it would be known by that term even in later periods. And what is interesting, that will be the spot where God's first real call will come upon Samson later on. By the way, in case we, we wonder how this can be, the whole tribe of Dan did not move north. Only a portion of the tribe of Dan moved north. The rest of them remained down there where they were. It was sort of like colonizing. What the ancient Greeks did when they felt like they were overcrowded, they sent a bunch of guys off to found a colony someplace where they could transport some of the people and relieve the pressure at home. And of course, have the colony send some more grain back. So that was sort of what was happening here. So from the camp of Dan, the men marched north into the territory of Ephraim. And they were guided by the five spies. After all, they had been this way before. The five spies had blazed the trail, you might say. And on the way, they would come to the house of Micah. <laughs> this guy Micah keeps showing up. The spies went there, and now the whole 600, actually there are more than 600, we'll find this later, the whole 600 have brought lock, stock, and barrel, you know, kitchen sink and everything with them. They brought their family, their herds. They're, they're literally moving. I'm sure that some of the other tribes along the way were a bit concerned about having this plague of grasshoppers moving through their territory. And they probably tried to keep them moving as much as possible along the road and, and uh, away from living off the grain and the other crops along the way. They would come to the house of Micah. And the irony of it will be that Micah, who was so friendly to the spies, and he, he housed them, he extended them hospitality, he let their, his priest bless them, he sent them on their way, he probably gave them bags of wine and some grain and food for the journey. And now they bring back the whole 600 and they, quote, repay Micah for his hospitality. They will rip off his priest and his gods and move on. And when Micah comes chasing after them, they're, what have you done? They tell him, Buddy, you better go home. You're going to get hurt. This is not how Middle Eastern hospitality is supposed to be repaid. But again, we're dealing with people whose eyes are on themselves. They're chasing after a God that is of human invention, denying the real God of Israel. And what you see is human nature at its most awful. And it doesn't get better as we proceed through the book of Judges. Well, We'll have to move on in the 18th chapter, beginning in verse 14 next week, and see what happened. Do pagans succeed? Yeah, and they will. They will succeed, but it will not be to their eternal blessing.